Hiya, and welcome to another episode of The Jewel Case with me, John Darcy. Now, I have a very special guest this week. She's sort of our station mascot, I think, over the last couple of weeks. I'm in the studio at Lisburn's 98 FM this week, and I'm joined by the lovely Ursula Burns. How are you, Ursula? Hello. I'm fantastic. Good to be here again. If, if you're not aware of Ursula's work, she is the dangerous... <laughs> <laughs> she is the dangerous harpist, Northern Ireland's most dangerous harpist and, in the world. One of the uh, in the world, Northern Ireland's most dangerous harpist in the world. <laughs> <laughs> one of the hardest working musicians in Northern Ireland, I have to say. Yeah, I work pretty hard. I, I love work. That's all I know how to do. See, it's once work. you start as a self-employed musician and things get rolling. You just have to keep up the energy, don't you? You do. I've been going 21 years self-employed. so And that's only the legal amount I was going before <laughs> then. Um, so I think what needs to happen in order to survive, you need to diversify and you need to have one more prop. Uh, more than one pot stirring in your cooker and that can tend to leave you very busy. Now don't get me wrong, there are patches when everything clears up and you've got absolutely nothing. And that's when you write your next yes. show, right? Yeah, well the, the, those periods for me are not uh, rest, they are uh-huh. they are. what am I going to create now to keep me alive? It's your dedication <laughs> time and all that yeah. which you need as a, as a working yeah. artist you can't just be on all the time performing all the time, you've got to yeah. have some time to absorb and take a look around and write that next song yeah. or that next album yeah. well Ursula we'll, we'll talk loads yeah. about what you've been working on recently because you have a really exciting appearance at Edinburgh Festival coming up Yeah. Uh, but last weekend you actually performed at Sunflower Festival and to celebrate you were our track of the week on Lisburn's 98 FM Woo-hoo! your song Crying in the Portaloo oh, the, the, that was the only happy song I ever wrote <laughs> <laughs> to write a happy song and then I looked at the title and it was called Crying in the Portaloo. <laughs> I wrote a really nice uh, little um, description of it for our Facebook page to post about it and you know said you know Ursula was crying in the Portaloo but hopefully you aren't at Sunflower Festival this weekend. Oh, um, brilliant. And uh, you, you were in actually talking to our breakfast DJ Michael Clark uh, yes. I think uh, last week as well or the yeah. week before. Well, I've been, uh, it's been remarkably, remarkably hectic for me, not just this week, but this whole year. I mean, um, the year had started where I was finishing the run of Little Red Riding Hood, which was 41 performances. And then I went straight into making uh, The Dangerous Harpist, the album, which was then, I started that in January and I released it in May, which was an incredibly fast turnover. Then I uh, moved house in June and uh, last a couple of weekends wrote The Dangerous Harpist, The Comedy Show, which is going to Edinburgh next week. And um, the preview of that show actually took place last week. Yeah, last Thursday in the bar. So, so you're pretty much you're pretty much ready already, I think, aren't you? Yeah, well, 
I, th- I don't know how ready you ever get when it comes mm. to Edinburgh Festival. It's um, it's always a overwhelming, daunting um, festival. There's over 3,000 shows. Mm. And um, I'm doing it all myself. So I'm out, you're out flyering, you're getting the audience in, you're, you know, you're doing the performance, you're doing extra performances. I'll be playing the National Portrait Gallery, uh, which is a gigantic gig uh, in my spare time. And then the Best of the Irish gigs and then the Malcolm Hardy Awards and all those gigs happen in the evening and then my own show happens during the day. So um, Edinburgh is really overwhelming. <laughs> so you're actually doing sort of a matinee show? 12.20 in the afternoon and uh, it's an hour long. It's a one-woman solo comedy harp show called The Dangerous Harpist, which I'm frantically learning. And uh, well, I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm kind of getting it into my head. It's the first time I've done this version of the show, so. And how does this show title The Dangerous Harpist relate back to the album The Dangerous Harpist? I feel that they're dangerous in different directions. My work (laughs) is about breaking down the boundaries of the harp and doing what's not normally done with it. So um, as opposed to going from a traditional perspective or folk perspective or classical perspective, I never learned harp. I've always come to it from like a songwriting perspective and an exploration and what can I do with this instrument and what can I find and how can I bring it into worlds where it doesn't normally exist um, Dangerous Harpist the album was with with, with Michael Mormika and he, you, as you know he's from Lisbon and an incredible musician and producer mm. so um, so that would he made the harp rock like my whole my whole comedy vibe was the harp doesn't rock and then I met Michael <laughs> so <laughs> well, that's he, how, he makes everything yeah, rock tell us what it was like to actually head down to his studio because it's just on the outskirts of Lisbon yeah well I absolutely loved it I didn't I didn't know him from Adam really I didn't know him very well and I sent him a message saying I want to come in and make an album and he said have you got demos of your songs and I said well no actually I haven't worked out what songs I'm going to do yet but uh, so I I don't like doing demos anyway and I really like um, the aspect of working with someone you have no clue what they do or how they 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 do it or what they do and I really love the idea of giving the producer the space to actually produce like I am a control freak but I'm not a control freak in certain aspects so when I go to work with someone I let them work I let mm-hmm. them do their job. I also like working incredibly fast because I'm paying for it and uh, and I'm paying for it out of gigs and I'm paying for it yeah, out yeah, of yeah. every gig has been earned like 100 quid, 150 quid on the harp. And it's incredibly difficult to actually make money in comedy. This is the world I've been kind of in for the last four years. So aside from keeping a house and a child and everything going, I'm paying the bills and so that makes me incredibly efficient. <laughs> so uh, I, what I did do is I really put a lot of hard work into pre-production. I know exactly what I'm doing. I know every note. I know every word. I've edited it. I've worked on it. I've chipped it away. I've chiseled. I've perfected what I want to do. I've perfected the point to I can walk into the studio and lay everything down in one take. Yeah. And then I walk into the studio, splurge everything out in one take and let them do their work. Mm-hmm. And the what's edit. at the end of the week is the album. And if I like it or not, it's getting rammed into a <laughs> CD case with some artwork slapped on it and chucked out to the world and move on as fast as possible. Well, let's hear a song from The Dangerous Harpist. Okay. I'm dying to hear something. Will we play um, 
play Strange Clothes. Let's play Strange Clothes. a little bit of Strange Clouds by the most dangerous harpist in the world Ursula Burns and I have Ursula with me right now you are listening to The Jewel Case with me John Darcy Ursula what is Strange Clouds about? It's kind of like a lovely little harp number about um, geoengineering (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What is geoengineering? Oh well it's just um, I suppose it's about um, now that I've said it I don't really want to talk about it it's just about uh, you know plans to uh, why there would be spraying and stuff like that going on in the sky oh yeah so it's quite intense really but it doesn't sound like that if you when you listen to it but I like the fact that the harp is juxtaposed with the heavy guitars and the yeah and the the it's quite uh, powerful that intro even it's very commanding and like it's like a march it's dramatic and it's epic and it's strong and it's beautiful like yourself (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> wow, thank you. <laughs> so Dangerous Harvest was recorded with Mike and was it a case of, I know you had everything ready to bring in and rush through in the studio. Yeah. Uh, what what did Mike bring to the table in terms of production? Everything else. I mean, um, I play piano and harp and um, sing and Mike brought the, the drums, the guitars, he played double bass. He can literally turn his hand to anything and yeah. some of the synth stuffs and I was just uh, on the verge of overwhelmed at how good he is at what he does. He's just able to do everything and he's so sensitive to what something needs. Mm. So he's able to just offer the perfect thing in one take. And that is a dream for me, you know. So it was really, really beautiful because I was able to just fire everything out and he was able to fire everything on top and we were able to move really fast and I love that. And it really feels like you're going with lightning speed through Mm. this epic material body of work and they're all different. And you just don't know what you're going to get and they're all being treated differently, the songs, I mean, you know. So, And at the end, the most exciting point to work in that fast is when you sit down and you've done it in a head spin and then you listen to everything in a row and you go, wow. (laughs) (laughs) And all these different styles from disparate parts of your musical minds all come together in one place. And it's so exciting that moment when you you press play and listen to the Mm. tracks in an order and you, you literally are shocked when you listen back and hear how it's evolved and what's come out of each track. And it really is a mystery to you, you know, it really is a surprise. And that's why I don't like doing demos or being too organised before I go into the studio. You know, it's like, I suppose when you're having a baby and you find out whether it's a boy or a girl. I mean, when I was pregnant, I never did that. I just was like, <laughs> right, there's a baby in there and in the end there's going to be this sort of surprise when I find out what it is, you know. It's a wee bit like that to me, yeah. you know. I like the album to maintain its element of mystery and to reveal itself to me. Well, it sounds like for you that is part of the process. It's this sort of the birthing of the music 
um, in this sort of organic way where there is on on the one hand this preparation and composition of the notes and carefully placing the lyrics to the melody but then there's this other side of what 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 happens when it actually comes out and then that's a whole new organic thing that's absolutely it's not like everything's left a chance everything's worked out to the finest detail but the a massive amount of room is left mm. for it to evolve it's kind of like else. it's reminding me of how I'm playing Pokemon Go at the minute <laughs> <laughs> And all of the careful planning and effort I go into hatching my Pokemon eggs. And uh, I just don't really have any final control over what Pokemon they are, but uh, they they come out and they're beautiful. We've lost you. We've lost you. Come back, John. We want you back. Is is your son playing Pokemon Go? No. He's no. not. And he's young kinda, or? He's young, he's 12. Well, he's yeah. turning into a teenager. Like, I couldn't get him out of bed until half 12 today. <gasps> Once so that started, it doesn't stop. I know. I had gone out and done a day's work. I came back on. Where is he? Why doesn't he answer his phone? He was still asleep. Um, no, he's not playing Pokemon Go. Because Pokemon, when it first came out and we hit big, I was in primary school. So it's a nostalgia trip for me. But then there's a whole yeah. new generation, I guess, that... Pokemon's been here and there and everywhere and maybe isn't as cool anymore. Maybe he's, well, he's, he's, he's it's just lame to him. Maybe, he said it? to me, uh, oh, Mum, look, see, there's that guy there across the road. He's playing Pokemon Go, you know. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> we were laughing Loser. at the guy. There. And then we saw the guy getting one, you know, and he was telling his granny. <laughs> he was showing his granny and they were both getting excited, put down the shopping bags, getting excited. We were having a right laugh at them. <laughs> and that was me. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ursula, the Dangerous Harpist, to just to get back on point, yes. <laughs> the Dangerous Harpist, the album, it was oh, not yeah. your first no. album. No, you've plenty of albums in your discography. Yeah. I first started recording, and I went first ever into studio in nineteen eighty six. When my mum, you probably weren't even born, my mum uh, was making no an, a, an album of WB Yeats material. And, oh, wow. Yeah. And she had been granted permission, even when lots of people in the Yeats, um, lots of people have been turned down, like big, big names had been turned down. So Michael Yeats gave her permission to do the album and she pressed it on vinyl. And I had two tracks on that. I'd written the music, composed the music for it and went into the studio. And that was the first, like the first excitement I got for recording. So um, it was sometime later when I put it out, my first EP was like 1995 or something. Mm -hmm. And then I did five, so I've had five released solo self-financed albums so um, the Dangerous Harpist is the fifth solo self-financed released album. You've given me a couple of tracks from your earlier albums. Yeah. Uh, and I'd sort of like to dig yeah, in a little bit. go on ahead. Well, the back catalogue I've done, I've never exploited. I never sent it to record companies. Even I never even, that, like that example, uh, Roller Coaster Castaways, I released that when I was eight months pregnant. So I didn't even really get to work that. I had a baby yeah. the following month. And then I ended up, but you know, doing baby stuff, and I completely forgot about the album. So it is some of those some of those albums haven't even had a proper, you know, haven't other ones that did give a proper writing and I did tour and I did tours of England and Scandinavia and I went to America. So I did, I did do touring of the other albums, but I suppose in a way. It's a journey, it's a process, and no album is ever wasted. Like, I spend a lot of money on my back catalogue, yeah, and I never made that money back on the back catalogue. However, I consider that I haven't, I definitely haven't wasted my time because no. every track I've ever done, every experience in the studio, every different producer has 
added to the depth of that I can just walk in and make the album I made in five days. Do you know what I mean? Every single studio experience has made me who I am. Every gig has made me as capable as to now be at the point where I can do what I do. So nothing like is ever wasted, ever, yeah. ever, 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 ever. I would be the same that uh, every experience has its merits. There's never really a bad experience because either it's a good story to tell (laughs) down the road or it builds your character in some way that makes you more prepared for uh, some eventual thing, some challenge that you have to face in the future. Um, But we will delve into your archive a little bit. I have a couple of tracks just so they don't go completely by the wayside in this whole chat. Uh, I have a song from your album, Spell. Now tell me a little, a little bit about Spell. It's your second album? It's my second, it's my second album. It was a joy. Um, I had The first album had taken three years to record, which is why I do all my fa- my albums fast now. And uh, <laughs> that, that, that was really a, it was like a pulling teeth experience. It was quite difficult. And I'd only been playing the harp six months when I started making an album. So I was still learning how to tune it and making mm. it all up as I went along. Still am. But um, anyway, <clears throat> after the experience of the first album, I wanted to make an album really fast. And I was really fed up with the harp and I wanted to do it in the piano. And a guy called Kieran Kennedy was supporting, he was playing with Andy White's band one night when I was doing support. And Kieran said, what are you doing? What are you so frustrated about? Why are you fed up? And I said, well, I want to make an album. I want to make it in one week and I want to do it on the piano. And he said, I'll make your album. I said, will you? And I took down his number and I called him the following week and then I flew him to Brighton. And I flew into Brighton or to London. And we met in Brighton in a studio called 811 that works on analogue tapes. Mm. And I had a grand piano and it was a good, cheap studio. And I booked it for a week and we went in and we started uh, recording and every night at six o'clock we had gin and tonic um, break at six o'clock but by day three we were having we didn't know whether we were having the gin and tonic at six o'clock in the evening or six o'clock in the morning we were working all night we were working all day and we were just making an album and we were just firing out all that I was firing out all the tracks and he was firing out all the stuff on top of them and at the end on the last day we sat with gin and tonic and listened to the, what we'd made and we were blown away Wow. And then we went and back over to 811 and had a week, had it like four or five days to mix it. Because in those days, working on an analog desk mm. was much, you couldn't mix it as you went long as you do now. It only took one day to mix The Dangerous Harpist. But this would take four or five days because we were working. I was helping fade things in and out and <laughs> was splicing tape and stuff like that. So after the second session, we had an album. But then it cost 10 grand to work that way. <sighs> Yeah, when you considered everything from yeah. beginning to end, it, it was because you buy the tapes. You need yeah. two grand for for um, two inch tapes, so very expensive process. But I was very happy with the album. What track will we play that sort of represents that era of the Ursula Burns experience? Yeah, well, the track "Small Square Parks" is a good example. Small square parks Remind me Of cheap trickery And armchair piffle Small square parks Remind me Of the pain 
Ursula Burns and her song Small Square Parks from the album Spell. You're listening to Jill Kiss with me, John Darcy, and I have Ursula with me in the studio at Lisburn's 98 FM. Ursula, you still get emails about that song. I do. <laughs> from Germany asking, people from Germany email me and ask me for the lyrics. And I have to sit, I didn't, I've never actually typed them into my computer, so I have to sit and write them every time. <laughs> <laughs> I always spell it wrong and I always get them mixed up. But anyway. And what, why Germany? Um, there was a guy, I think what happened was it was used in a film to do with the Troubles. The, and it was used under score a film or something. So okay. people have researched it and then found my name and found some other stuff online mm. or found my email and said, I get messages from different sites or different places asking me about the lyrics and they always ask for the lyrics. They mightn't understand what I'm saying, I don't know, but they always ask me It's that me bit what about the, the Belfast are. winos, they don't know what a wino is probably. Yeah, a wino. Yeah, and yeah, I like, I always have, I've always loved that. My whole thing all along has been to put a lovely soft voice or a harp with something lyrically hard hitting or lyrically ugly yeah. you know to make that um, that paradox that contradiction exist I really mm-hmm. love playing with that and always have Your next album was Roller Coaster Castaways mm-hmm. what was the process was this were you still working in analogue was it yep. that sort of uh, heavy duty production Yeah atmosphere? same producer same studio actually um, we enjoyed spells so much that we decided to go back but in the in reflection, um, it, it was a very, very difficult personal year of my life. I'd lost somebody very, very close to me and I was absolutely devastated. And my way of coping with it was to say, I'm going to write an album of really positive songs. So um, I did write the album for the person I'd lost, but um, I tried to write an album of positive songs, but I was in a really deep state of grief. I also didn't realise I was pregnant when I was making the album and um, it was only it was only after 
I had recorded done recorded the album that I found out that I was pregnant, which also understood why it was it was sort of like people say you've a different difficult second album, but I had a difficult third album. The second one was a dream, and the third one was more difficult personally because of the space I was in and yeah. also because of the change turmoil that was going on in my life at the time. So a uh, roller coaster castaways, as I said what it was, it's like I was on a roller coaster. Life was yeah. intense and I was casting away the songs and that's why it was called Roller Coaster Castaways. Well, let's play a song from it. Um, what should we play? Uh, I think Babbly Gardens. Touch of a song called Bobbly Gardens. So am I saying that right? I think it's, I, yeah, you could be. I don't bobbly even know. Jumper. Bab- bobbly Jumper? Bobbly it's a Gardens. Babble, I call it the Bobbly Gardens, but it could be the Bobbly Gardens, the Bobbly Gardens. I don't know. I'm not, I'm dyslexic and reading things sometimes causes me a wee challenge in pronunciation. Mm-hmm. However, it's in Italy. So um, uh. I, I don't think they'll notice if we pronounce it wrong. <laughs> I, I pronounce English words wrong all the time. I know I do so too. It's fine. Sure, I was calling. I was, I was reading all the articles, you know. Is it um, Brexit? I was calling it Bridex. Tipex? Bridex. But it, I still have to struggle before I say the word because it's like yeah. in my head it's Bridex. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. I mean, Boris could be calling it whatever. I don't know. <laughs> so, bobbly, bobbly. Bobbly, bobbly, bobbly. <laughs> Gardens. Gardens. It was a beautiful garden anyway in Italy and there was a big statue of Neptune there and there was a pond and there was some orange fish in the pond and then I wrote the song. 
And that's from the album Roller Coaster Castaways. Yeah. And the orchestration is very lush on yeah. that track. Is that sort of representative of that album and how your music is coming becoming a bit more complex as you develop with your writing? I've been on a process to try and make my music more simple. I think it started off more complex. Mm. Um, and also it started off with a complete irreverence of any rules and really a very limited back catalogue. Um, so no real perception of what I should do or what the rules are and just a freedom to, to create. Like, for example, most people would write like, you know, a verse and a chorus and a bridge and stuff like a complete irreverence for all yeah. that. So um, as time's gone on, I've tried to become more well-behaved and more organised oh, no. and more digestible <laughs> to the world. Do you know what I mean? And mm. that's that's just been from getting more educated about how things work. So um, who knows? Someday I might go, oh, that's, that's no fun. Let's go back to ignoring rules. It's sort of in that lineage of baroque pop right that I guess comes from the teenage operas of the 60s Phil Spector productions and the Beatles and you know Brian Wilson um making these crazy albums like Pet Sounds and yeah. Smile uh and I guess the, the modern interpretation of that is people like Polyphonic Spree and Sufjan Stevens and yourself uh bringing in orchestration and not playing with the typical verse chorus verse chorus yeah um, did this continue in the next album, Deep in the Dreaming? Or? Deep in the Dreaming was, it was highly musical. Where other albums have ventured into lots of different keys and variation in keys, this stayed in a similar mode. But it was highly melodic mm -hmm. and it was lyric fo uh, focused. It was, it was based on, I found this book of poetry in London when I was on tour. And it was Fiona MacLeod. Fiona MacLeod was a guy called William Sharp who was a maid of Yeats and they were into esoteric poetry and esoteric. And at that point, I'd been living in the woods and I'd been bringing up my wee child. And, you know, I I was really into mysticism and I, I was exploring all sorts of things. And this was the album that sort of came as almost an element of peace after the turmoil of Roller Coaster Castaways. There was an element of peace in this album and an element of, it's almost like a spiritual element to it, but it was highly, the, the lyrics were flowery, like poetry and the meter mm -hmm. of them and the, the melody was more um, peaceful. And the, the focus for this album was poetic lyrics and highly melodic Um you know, cut melodies and counter melodies. So it's very different from all the other albums, actually. Well, let's hear a bit of a song with that highly poetic name that even, you know, brings all this sort of imagery into your head as soon as you read the, the back of the CD, yeah. all these titles sort of spring out at you. Uh, we've chosen a track here called Serafina Rose. Softly goes the Thank you. 
you're hearing is Serafina Rose by Ursula Burns from her album Deep in the Dreaming. Now that album was made a couple of years ago. When when was that sort of early noughties? That would have been around 2005, oh, six or seven. Wow, 2007 okay. maybe, I don't know, yeah. And you yeah. actually were working with a, a new set of collaborators for that album? Yeah. I worked with Rob McVeigh, he produced it and we got in uh, musicians. The main musicians on it would be Neil Martin and Paddy Martin, who are not related. Neil Martin played cello and uh, Paddy Martin played pipes. I'd worked um, that year on writing Snail in the Wheel for the Grand Opera House and we took it in tour in England and stuff and... um, Paddy Martin had come in to play pipes and I'd worked with a cello player on Snail in the Wheel and I'd used similar instrumentation, a whole rake of different songs. Obviously, it was a stage show. But when I finished that particular production, I really had enjoyed working with those sonics Mm -hmm. and I wanted to take it further. So I wrote a collection of songs and brought... Um, Neil Martin and Paddy Martin into the studio with Rob McVeigh producing the album and yeah it's very it's quite different than all the other albums No 6 o'clock gin and tonic with this one No no 6 o'clock no 6am gin and tonics with this one (laughs) We were sort of in a little daze listening to that in the studio that uh, there's a very calming relaxing element I feel that is coming in on this album Yeah it's it's like a it's like a cup of hot chocolate and a, and a warm rug around you and um, there's a there's a calmness there's a poetry there's a melodicness mm. it's a gentle it's actually the calm after the storm really there was a bit where you sort of cringed a little because <laughs> there was a pause with the piano hung for just that extra beat yeah and you you completely cringed up there I'm, I'm sorry, Ursula, is this listening through to these songs, Ian? This is sort of like therapy. (laughs) You know what? Um, Kieran Kennedy, who made Spell and Rollercoaster Castaway, said to me, God, you do pick expensive therapy, don't you? (laughs) I do feel as if every album is therapy and it is um, just a nicer way than paying a therapist (laughs) to make an album, Uh, especially because I've never done much with them in the music industry because I've never really exploited them. They really do probably come under the category of therapy but um, 
the the point is that all these all these albums and all this music was funded by playing music. So every yeah. hundred pounds out gigging was saved up and put into more albums. It 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 was a process that got harder to do once I had a child because my my standard of living had to go up. You have to eat and eat your house and stuff, <laughs> <No more laughs> which is a, which is a good thing. Which is a good thing, but it did. I did slow down in my my ability to 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 fire them out, or yeah. to bring them to completion. Um, but yeah, so it was a, a different set of people. And as I said, I do like working with different people. I do like going into the unknown. I don't research up a producer. I don't listen to their music. I d- that might be horrifying for some people. I don't understand what they do. I just enjoy rocking up, meeting them, and seeing what happens. Yeah, but you you've made so so much music and built built up such a great back catalogue at this stage. But you never play any of these old songs no, live. No, 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 never play any of them. You live. probably haven't even listened to these. In I years. haven't, and that's why I cringed because I forgot it was there. And I remember <laughs> asking the producer to put the silence a bit longer. A bit longer, a bit longer now, and he was like, "Oh, this is so. This is there's this, there's another point in Babbly Gardens, the one you played earlier, which is exactly the same. There's a silent, you know, there's a mm-hmm. pause that I like to hold that bit slightly bit too long, and then bang in with something big. I do love that. It ties in with the fact that your music is so integrally theatrical, and you're working on theatre productions, you're working on comedy gigs. I don't mean the old truism, timing is everything in comedy, yeah. but but the those dramatic pauses are are, are really important in your yeah. work and, yeah. and do speak to that aspect that you are not just doing the ABC, ABC yes. music painting by numbers. Also, when you consider the epic amount, when music is music and it affects you and it creates you, but a silence in music, there is nothing more powerful. How can anything be more powerful than a silence in the middle of music? <laughs> well, I'm hoping to get John Cage on the podcast next week <laughs> to talk about or not talk about that. More. Yeah. <laughs> silent podcast, actually, that would be a good one. Oh my god, um, that's the silent album, isn't it? There's one of those. Yeah, it's your yeah. going's fault or something. Was it? <laughs> So we had a little bit of a deep dive into your catalogue there. Yeah. Um, we're working through this this podcast rightly, Ursula. It's yeah. been it's been great having you in the studio. Um I did want to ask you a bit more about the upcoming show at Edinburgh, yeah. but also get a little bit of a taste of some of your influences. Let's maybe talk through some of your your big hitters because yeah. I, I I sent you a message and said is there any songs we can play that sort of speak to your musical personality and your influences? And you gave me a couple of big hitters. Yeah. And one of them was Kate Bush. Yeah. Well, I give you stuff that was impacting on me when I was first awakening to music. Mm-hmm. So we're talking like the 80s, you know, and um, uh, before and when I when I was growing up, it was my family were all playing folk music and stuff. So that would be there. And uh I also do like classical music, so that would be there. But when, you know, I think people like Leonard Cohen, Kate Bush, Prince were the people in the mains. Well, Leonard Cohen might, might have been so mainstream, but the people who were in that were filtering through to me from mm-hmm. what was on the mainstream, you know. And when I was around there, I didn't have a massive eclectic taste then or anything I just I wasn't exposed to a lot um so but when when something's when something got me I really latched on to you know so 
Well, Kate Bush is one of those names that you named. Cloud busting. Yeah. Well, I, I think I picked that one because because uh, my strange Clouds track that you played earlier on the new album, it's just it that it, it sort of thought, well, when you ask me if it influences, um, I try... I, 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 do, I don't necessarily draw influences from music or from from real people a lot, but I think subconsciously, uh, Kate Bush was definitely an impact on me. I still dream of So just a wee touch of Kate Bush's Cloud Busting. Wow, what a classic track. Yeah, do you hear those vocals in the back? Ha, ha, ha. You know, she's got like that, and that stabbing stuff, you know. It's so, so good, so powerful. Yeah. Those those short, sharp stabs yes. throughout. Yeah. yeah, dramatic, strong. You you you're, you're you're a little bit reticent that you've 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 chosen yeah. such massive hits yeah. here. Don't be ashamed of your yeah. massive hits. Okay. These are the big musical landmarks. <laughs> okay. You've got another one, Nina Simone, yeah. and the track that you chose was uh, playing "Gold Ring." Yeah. Why? Um. Well, there I could have chosen any amount of Nina Simone yeah. tracks. I mean, her her what? Why I wanted to pick some Nina Simone is that she does something really. Um, she rub you know when you pat your head and rub your tummy well she's doing that with her piano playing and her voice what she, what she does technically mm. is supreme and um, as a piano player I I really blown away by what she does the Plain Gold Ring one it was what was one of the few songs that I actually managed to cover on the harp but but it took me ages to, to master getting her bass and mm. managing to do the vocal on top because it's very is a very different. She does two very different things mm. at the same time, and that's impressive. Plain gold ring on his finger he wore. It was where everyone could see he belonged to someone, but not me. On his head was a plain gold band. Plain gold ring had a story to tell. It was one. There's such a deep sadness in that track and with so much of her music, Ursula. No, I love a bit of sadness. Yeah. <laughs> two really strong, powerful women. Yeah. As as two of your main signposts, I guess, yeah. in your musical 
musical upbringing, can we yeah. say? Or... Yeah, yeah, you totally could say that, yeah. We'll play one more of your big hitters. We'll call it Ursula's big hitters. What got you into, Leonard? God, this week our Lippy Linda. She was on a unicycle. We were in the circus together. But she she came up to my room and she said, here, listen, are you mentally strong? I was like, what do you mean mentally strong? She said, it's just I've got this tape here. And if I put this music on, you could go mad because if you're not mentally strong, you can't listen to it. And I was like, are you serious? And she was like, yeah. Like, people have gone mad when they listen to this. And I'm like, oh, okay, put it on. So we put it on the tape. And it was Leonard Cohen's Greatest Hits and Suzanne was the first track that came out on the wee old tape recorder. Mm. And that's it. I fell in love. I got his record and the, even then the look of him on the on that Greatest Hits record, I was just like, I love this man. His voice and his poetry and his, it was just, that was it. There was no turning back. Suzanne takes you down to her place near the river You can hear the boats go by You can spend the night beside her And you know that she's half crazy But that's why you wanna be there And she feeds you tea and oranges That come all the way from China and just when you mean to tell her that you have no love to give her then she gets you on her wavelength and she lets the river answer that you've always been her lover Leonard Cohen's very powerful and deep, 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 deep Suzanne Yeah Imagine young teenage Ursula listening to that. <laughs> With her little mind blown. As we said there, it's the first time I ever, ever properly heard a song, properly listened with every cell of everything I had mm. and completely heard everything and it blew me open. Metaphorically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh no, I broke you. <laughs> I was trying all episode. <laughs> Oh, uh, Ursula, I hate to say, we're nearly at the end of the show. Are you joking? And we're just getting around yeah, to talking starting. about the show at Edinburgh, which is coming up. So wait, remind me of the dates. Okay, so the 16th to the 29th of August in the Yurt, which is in the Stand in the Square, Edinburgh Festival, 12.20pm. Dangerous. I can't wait because... I'm actually going to be in Edinburgh that third weekend of August. Oh, brilliant. So I'm going to come see you. Oh, come at the beginning because like, you know, I've got some big, big other gigs going on National Portrait yeah. Gallery on the 19th and the best, yeah. I'm going to be around there. Oh, yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, I'm going to give you a shout. Come, yeah, come to the show. Come Get some the of the show. Northern Irish contingent. Oh, please in. do because you're, you're out in the street trying to grab people in. Yeah. <laughs> Get in here and see my show. It's just another world. I went no. for the first time properly last year and actually stayed for a full week. I had a couple of friends doing shows, you know, Ben Mayer and Roland Linsky. Ah, yes, so 
yeah, both yeah, of them. Yeah, yeah. And uh, just so impressed by the whole way that the city moved then. Yeah. I know I have a couple of friends who've lived in Edinburgh around the time of the festival. They hated it because it sort of ruins the city for the people who live there uh, for the whole year round and wrecks all the venues. They love it things, really. They just like to complain about it. But it's they just it. unbelievable. Um, me and my friend, Kieran Logue, friend of the podcast, uh, just uh, booked a couple of gigs. There was some some stuff that you know was free, and we just expected it to just be a way to put in an afternoon. But it was really powerful and really yeah. moving. So many artists putting on unbelievable events. Yeah, yeah. The first time I went over to play the festival, I had my wee son with me, and we were both standing out in the street flyer and trying to get people <laughs> into the gig. And I wasn't even in the book. I hadn't. I didn't even know about the book. I hadn't even entered my show into the book. But that year I was nominated for the Malcolm Hardy Award for yes, Comic right. Originality. And then um, the second year I went back was in the stand. And again, my son was with me. And this year I'm going back to the stand. It's like the festival is mind-blowing. As a performer, it is daunting. Like mm. I can't say um, that I'm relaxed or delighted or anything at the minute because it's just, I will be once I know that I've, I've done it. But it's just, it's an ordeal. How is the preparations going at the minute? I've been learning the words. I mean, I only wrote the show. The show, I moved house and the, a, a page went flying out of a diary. And then I compl- I'd a show written and I had I had played it to a few people. But when this page came out, I sat down and completely rewrote the whole show. So there's a lot of learning. And, mm. um, and uh, that's just, you know, it's just out of the comfort zone. Doing new stuff is just always like that. And it's none of the songs from the Dangerous Harpist album? No. Well, there's actually, there's two songs from the Dangerous Harpist album that are in it. Um, and a few of the songs from the comedy set that I've been out doing around. Yeah. Uh, like some of the main ones that work in the performance. But the 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 whole context and frame mm-hmm. and the um, in, intersections of the show are all changed and I'm really happy because I feel like I've for the first time really managed to do something with a through line and I write something I've broke to a new level with writing this I know I have I haven't done it yet but it's I, I kind of there is an excitement there about it it's just there's it's mixed with fear because I'm still learning it <laughs> you know if you weren't teetering on that edge of the unknown I don't think you would be having as good a time right yeah. I mean I, I, I'm getting getting the whole uh, the, the picture is building now throughout the course of this interview I'm getting yeah. the feeling that that's what you're in it for that excitement yeah. that unknown entity yeah yeah I, yeah who wants life to be dull I mean when you know what you're doing it's time to move on I mean that's the that's the great <laughs> quote from David Bowie recently right uh, that has been doing the rounds on the internet you know when when, when you're or, or was it Brian Eno or is it David Bowie I think it was David Bowie. When you're, um, if you're not on that edge of your comfort zone, if you're still in the comfort zone, you're in the wrong place. You've got to move outside that or just stop. Yeah. I agree. Ursula, it's been an absolute pleasure having you in the studio at Lisburn's 98 FM today. Thank and uh, you so much. it's been great having you as track of the week. We've been actually uh, getting some nice feedback from that really? as well. Really? Yeah, I'm yeah. so honoured and thrilled and delighted <laughs> to be asked. I mean, anybody who plays my music, you know, deserves a pat on the back, really. Because <laughs> <laughs> nobody really bothered before. But no, I'm absolutely delighted. It's lovely to take a wee walk through the past albums and also to let the new one out, get yeah. a bit of airing. And thank you so much for picking the track of the week. I'm really honoured. The next time I will see you will be in Edinburgh City. Yeah. 
It's 16th to the 29th of August. Yeah. You're playing at Stand in the Square. So yeah. I'll see you at some stage then. Remember, it's a matinee show. If any of you are over in Edinburgh, do call round to see Ursula, the dangerous harpist. So the most dangerous. dangerous one in the <laughs> in world. In the world. <laughs> um, not, not no convictions though, right? <laughs> no, 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 no. Ursula, can we play uh, one of your songs from the album to finish us off for yeah. the evening? This has been The Jewel Case with me, John Darcy, going out every Tuesday evening at 8pm on Lisburn's 98FM, Bangor FM and FM 105 in Downpatrick. And if you've missed, the, if you just tuned in for this part of the show or if you've missed any of the shows, they all go up online. You can search for The Jewel Case on iTunes. You can search an audio boom. Or you can just go to thejewelcase.johndarcy.com. We've had interviews with artists and musicians and all sorts of creative people around Northern Ireland. If you'd like to get in touch with me, just go to Twitter at underscore John Darcy. That's underscore. And it kind of looks like the J has extended a wee bit (laughs) with the underscore. Uh, And that's how you get a hold of me. We have had Ursula Burns in tonight and we will finish with one of her songs from the recent album, The Dangerous Harpist. Ursula, what would you like to hear? Oh, I think a little bit of mechanical toys. Perfect. Ursula, thank you so much. Pleasure. He back into the light of the silvery moon Back into the light Of the silvery moon Back into the light Of the silvery moon And all the mechanical toys Were dreaming for the girls and boys And all the mechanical toys for the girls and boys And all the mechanical toys Who are dreaming for the girls and boys Who didn't believe Who believe Who believe Magic Well, so